Good morning. Nice to see you. Great to see you. Uh, whether you're here in person or at home, online, or listening some other time in the future, uh, we are connected. We are connected, no matter where we are, around the world um, by the Spirit of God, His resurrection, our belief in Him. Uh, we are united. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, we've been talking about what it would be like if Jesus came over for dinner and, and all that would come along with that, um, the anxieties as well as the joys. Uh, and the reality is if uh, Jesus had you over for dinner, <clears throat> he'd probably be cooking on a fire. It is most likely he, and he, he did it. We have record of that. He liked to cook uh, fish particularly. Which, and I'm guessing it would be the best fish you've ever had in your life. He liked to cook over a fire. I like to sit around a fire. And you like to, and you like to enjoy just like a camp, campfire, right? It doesn't even have to, I mean, I, I prefer a wood-burning camp. It can be gas. Uh, but I don't know, there's just something about that. <laughs> I don't know, this gets weird for me. The thermodynamic release of heat and light. That's what's going on there. And you get to ignite that. Like, I don't know, for some reason that freaks me out and gets me jazzed at the same time. I get to ignite an exothermic chemical reaction that keeps going. And literally, I kid you not, when I'm sitting by a fire, I'm oftentimes thinking, I started that. I made that happen. But now I'm not doing anything, and it just keeps going. It just keeps going. It's chemical reaction. Where is the heat and the light coming from? It's mesmerizing to sit around a fire like that. I think the reason I like fire is because uh, God likes fire. God is seriously likes fire. You, you look in through the scriptures and you're going to find all kinds of stories about fire. One of the first stories we teach our children in Christendom is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We would otherwise, A, not know these guys, B, not know how to pronounce their names, but we do. Because they didn't bow down to the king of Babylon. They said, no, you're not our king. God is our king. And they said, well, then into the fiery furnace for you, which they did. And as you know, no exothermic chemical reaction. No, no burning. They didn't burn. It was like it was great in there. It's just a sauna. It's just awesome. You got Moses and the burning bush where God invited Moses to lead his people out of slavery. You got Pentecost itself where the spirit of God arrived following the ascension of Jesus to his people and showed up in an indescribable way that seemed like tongues of fire. God, God just, he likes fire. He really does. He uses it all the time to illustrate stuff. It might be why I so deeply resonate with this leadership principle of burning your boats. Do you, do you know that that? Principle, burn, burn your boats. It, it, it's, it, it's founded on really a real event. Uh, a, a Spanish conquistador who landed at Veracruz, Mexico, and with in surprising 
fashion, with a very small army in a short amount of time, overtook the Aztec Empire and took Mexico for Spain. Hernan Cortez, horribly, horribly bad man. Yet, we like the principle of burning the boats because he needed his small army to fight for their lives, not just for a new land. And the way he motivated them was he burned the boats that they showed up in. There's no going back, fellas. We live or die right here doing the job that we came to do. He burned the boats. Here's my Easter question for you. For you. Particularly for, we're all in different phases of our faith journey. I, I don't know where you are in yours. This question in particular are for, is for those who believe wholeheartedly in what we celebrate on Easter. It's, it's not just a fun holiday. It's just not another cute way for Hallmark to make money uh, or for retail to find another level of margin, although we do that. Easter is uniquely and particularly about a man that was dead for three days, who proved himself to be the son of God and then was made not dead again forever. Pretty big deal. For those of you that believe that, the question is this, have you burned your boats? Have you burned your boats? Is your life catapulted forward into the life that God has for you? To the degree that you can get rid of every other thing that you might rely on for life, for peace, contentment, for sense of fulfillment and value? Have you burned everything that could give you, in our own imagination, what only God can provide? Have you gotten rid of it? Have you burned the boats that promise some comfort from that pain, some security from that fear, some provision, some peace? Have you, those of you that believe, have you eliminated all the other options, leaving you with only one that God would provide what you need? Does your life reflect full, complete commitment to Christ? True, singular faith that only God will and can provide the deepest needs in your life. Have you burned your boats? Jesus asks his own disciples a form of this question. I'm going to read a passage early in the, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6 when he addresses his disciples about this very question. What we're going to cover happens right after Jesus famously fed 5,000 people from a few loaves and fish. You know that story, feeding of the 5,000. What happened after he fed the 5,000, when he slipped off into the mountains like he is off to do, the disciples didn't know where he went. They, they figured maybe he got back over to Capernaum somehow. So they decided to pick up what was going on and just walk across the room and get out of there. They left in their boat. Jesus 
wasn't over there. <laughs> and so he had to walk on the water to catch up with the guys in the boat, which is what he did. They went on over to Capernaum together. The next morning, those folks that were at the big thing the night before got up and they were looking for Jesus. And that's where we pick it up. Once they realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into their boats and went over to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's a good question, right? Your disciples left with your boat. You, none of our boats were missing. And now you're over there. Jesus doesn't answer their question directly, which was like Jesus. He says, let me tell you something really, really important. You're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves of bread and had your fill. You shouldn't work, Jesus said, for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus says, I really, really wish you came to find me because you saw something in the miracles that I did that leads you to believe that I am someone special, very special, the Son of God himself. I wish you were coming for that reason, but you're coming because you want breakfast. I fed you last night. You're tracking me down this morning because you want more food. He said, you shouldn't work for this kind of food. You should be working to get eternal food. And they said, what must we do to do the works God requires? What do you, what do you think? What's the answer in your, in your head to the question of this is what you need to do to gain eternal life. This is what you need to gain peace, contentment, security, fulfillment, purpose, value right now in this life. Be honest. It, the first answer typically isn't Jesus. It's something else. And you're working for it. I'm working for it. What must we do to have the deepest sense of contentment that our soul desires? And Jesus says, believe in the one he has sent. You've seen the miracles I'm from God. I'm telling you, all you have to do is believe. That's the whole work. Believe. What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? <laughs> Got to be thinking, you were there last night. You saw, what do you ask? What do you mean? Well, yeah, what will you do? They, they give him an example. You know, there was a time back in uh, the old days when Moses prayed to God and he, God sent this bread in the wilderness, this manna that they could eat. And Jesus is like, you're, you're still trying to get breakfast out of me. 
I'm telling you, you have to believe. And you say, could you send a sign so that we could believe? And if you wouldn't mind, if that side could be two eggs over easy, some bacon and a side of whatever, probably not bacon, but you understand. <laughs> and this is the crux. This is the crux of the whole thing. We want what we want. We think we know what will bring the peace that I long for. We think we know what will break the bonds of insecurity and fear. We think we know what it is, and we want Jesus to give us that. That's what we pray for. Take a look at your prayers. You're typically praying for all the boats that we're supposed to burn. God, could you give me what my soul desires like that or that or that? And he says, no, I need you to believe in me. He says it clearly. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry in the deepest sense of that word. Who believes in me will never go thirsty in the deepest sense of that word. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you don't believe. The one who believes has eternal life. You've seen me. You, you have acknowledged the historic event of Jesus being raised from the dead, but we don't believe. And you know how Jesus can tell we don't really believe? We still have all our boats. There's a promise here. There's a promise here that is answered by our belief in the story of Easter. There's a promise here for a deeply unexplainable fulfillment in life, but not of this life. But during this life, we are hungry and thirsty for certain things, and we are convinced we know how to solve it. But Jesus says, believe. And go to John chapter 6, and Jesus starts to explain in very graphic detail what he means. And I'm just going to summarize it because it is, it is strange to read. He is saying, I need you to fully consume me. You consume a lot of things. You want breakfast like nobody's business. You want this. You want that. And you trying to get it. I need you to get me into you. And at that point, many of his disciples turned back. And they long longer followed him. And he turns to his disciples. And this is where I'm saying that Jesus is asking a very similar question. Have you burned your boats? And he says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? It's a big moment for Jesus. He's poured his life into these young men and women and says, are you going to go? Are you going to leave me? Or are you all in? Are you going to burn your boats? Are you fully committed? Jesus did this quite often, actually. There's a number of examples where large crowds are following Jesus, and he turns around oftentimes and says, hey, 
I'm not sure you understand fully the level of commitment I'm asking for here. If you're going to follow me, and I'm paraphrasing, he says things like, the love that you have for your mother and father is going to look like hatred. That's a, that's a big, to, to make a, a love of that grand of a scale look like nothing compared to the way you follow and obey and believe. And this one, he says, that's what I expect. And, and I, don't, I think if y'all understood that, he'd say, there wouldn't be so many people following me. Because I think he knew this is a small people group of people that are actually going to believe. And he asks his 12, are you going to believe? Are you going to burn your boats? You think about Peter. Peter was a pretty self-sufficient guy. He was a fix it yourself and do it fast and get the trophy kind of guy. You got a little Peter inside of you? Are you looking to fix stuff and fix it fast and get a pat on the back? Is that what gives you a sense of, being, of, of well-being, that you can, you can actually fix stuff? Or are you look more like James and John? You know, James and John were considered, they had a reputation called the sons of thunder. They had a reputation to uphold. Sons of thunder. You know what Jesus kept doing when he said, follow me, lay your life down. Put your power aside. This is all these guys knew. Are you willing to lay aside the thing that gives you a sense of power? What gives you your reputation? Look at Martha and Mary. When, when he asked, if he were to ask Martha and Mary, will you burn your boat for me? What would it be for Martha? See, I'm guessing Martha's one of those people that had a very consistent, quiet time. Every morning without fail. Make the rest of us feel like we're bad Christians. I had a friend of mine, pastor, years and years ago that once he got saved, which was when he was in college, until he was about... I don't know, 15, 20 years later, he never missed a quiet time. And during one of his messages, he said, he realized, I'm, I'm prideful about that. And someone that was discipling him at the time said, I think you should skip one. Just skip one. And he was like, oh, man. Right? He's got a record, 20-year, 15, 20-year record every day. And he said he skipped it. And now every now and then, he just skips one. Because he knew that's what was giving him his stuff. That's, that might be what Martha would have to burn or marry. Martha would, you know, she's, everything's in order. You got to get this thing right. And I'm right. Martha would say, I'm right. She told Jesus, tell Mary to get up here and help me because you know, Jesus, I'm doing the right thing here. Is that what's important to you? You got to be right all the time. Matthew, I can't, I'm trying to, I can't get my head around Jewish tax collectors. They were like thieves and murderers. That's literally what the, how they were perceived. So if you were a Jew and you became a tax collector, which meant you're working for those that are oppressing you and owning you, you pretty much had to walk away from your family. Okay, if you're walking away from your family, the job that you're doing must be very important. <laughs> I mean, you must get so much significance from your work if you're willing to abandon your family. And some of us know all too well from our own lives and lives of friends, we still do that. We still work to the expense of our family. But here's the thing. Matthew gave that up to follow Jesus. This idol, this boat of vocation. Oh, I could go on and on. What about Paul? Uh, he, he was at the top of the 
Jewish religious system. He was morally superior. Are you willing to let aside your strict religiosity? The thing that makes you look good in the eyes of other Christians, whether true or not internally, is that what you rest on? You're a good Christian. Judas. Judas, many believe that his heart was actually good, that he was trying to force Jesus to do what he knew Jesus could do. He wanted to get this thing moving. Political expediency, some leverage in the world to make it be what we want it to be. What, what are you depending on other than Jesus? I could go on. John probably suffered for some level of comparison or belonging or favoritism. And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? Oh, this had to warm Jesus' heart. To whom shall we go? Jesus, you've shown us who we are. Nothing else compares If, if, the, if the disciples hadn't yet burned their boats, they at least knew they were inadequate. Because at this point, Jesus isn't even, even raised from the dead, and they have enough to go on here. They have enough to go on. This is a great lesson for us. What the disciples that were closest to him saw in Jesus was enough for them to set aside all the boats and stuff of life that they were depending on. How amazing is that? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's my question to us. We have the resurrection. <laughs> we have the historic account of a man who defied all laws of nature. He, he, he overran them all. He had complete control. And his life was snuffed out. He was buried for days. And then he came back and was no longer dead. <laughs> we take that for granted. Oh my gosh. What could possibly in our imagination, beat that. Easter is a celebration of the new life that Jesus was raised into after three days. He wasn't brought back to life. There's a distinction here that's important. If he would have been brought back to life, he would have died again. He was raised into new life. He was raised into the next life while he was still in the vicinity of this life. And we are invited and welcomed in to simply believe that happened, proving who he was. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, listen, I need to remind you of this 
big news I preach to you, on which you have taken your stand, on which you have burned all your other boats, he's telling this young church and telling us at the same time, because what I received, I passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the 12 after he was undead. And then he appeared to 500 people at the same time. Paul goes on and says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, then your Christianity is a lie and everybody knows it because you haven't burned your boats. The rest of the world is looking at you and they're discovering that you are putting your hope, your marbles, your security, your peace, your comfort in the hope of the same things they are. That's not belief. Jesus proved that he was who he said he was, God. Through all of his miracles, And then with his triumph over death, he simultaneously proved the existence of new life beyond this one. Paul says he's the head of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first one into this new life, inviting the rest of us to come along with him by belief alone. A boat-burning faith that Jesus is alive. If that's true, what else could possibly matter? It leaves us with a binary choice. And the evidence of our choice will be declarative through the boats of our life. If you believe, you will burn them. If you don't believe, you can't. Listen to this. Christian belief, fueled by Jesus' miracles, his miraculous resurrection, fired by the Holy Spirit within, is a boat-burning life of faith that continues to eliminate alternatives to our singular hope and pursuit of Jesus. Let's do that again. Can you back up a slide? Christian belief fueled by Jesus' miraculous resurrection, fired by the Holy Spirit, is a boat-burning life of faith that continues to eliminate alternatives for hope. We're empowered by the Spirit of God, a fire within us, without fear, without, with no shadow of turning, fully confident to live our life out within God's kingdom, his unstoppable, ever-expanding wildfire of worshipful people. Y'all know about the holy fire miracle? Have you ever heard of the holy fire miracle? I, I had no idea. I just read about it this week. It's, going, it's been going on for, well, they would say 2,000 years, and it's been publicly documented for 1,600. In old Jerusalem, every holy Saturday, a light fills the, the, the actual site of, of Jesus' tomb and lights an unlit candle and then fills that same room with 
a blue light that lights other candles. And then the, the patriarch of the Eastern Orthodox Church, this is sort of a celebration of Eastern Russian and Greek Orthodox, he goes down into the temple with two unlit candles and comes out having lit those candles with the miraculous flame that came in the tomb. And then he shares that light with the throng of people that show up every year from all around the world. And they all light their candles. And then a procession of people take that over to the West Bank to the church of the nativity. And there's a whole gaggle of people there and they light their lights. And then they go back to their villages and their cities in Eastern Europe and Western Russia. And they light the candles of the people in their village and they celebrate Easter Sunday morning. It's a beautiful picture. And I, I have no idea what happens every year in that tomb. I, I don't know. I, I would love to believe it's a miracle. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's a lack of faith in me that questions that. I don't know. But here's what I do know. With all due respect and, and encouragement for those kinds of traditions and celebrations, here's what I know. An annual miracle is unnecessary. Maybe it happens, but it's not needed the only miracle necessary is done. Jesus, the light of the world, was brutally snuffed out and buried. He was relit to an eternal flame never to be extinguished again in whom every life that believes can, by grace through faith, be eternally lit do you know this? You don't need any more miracles in your life. You don't need any of the temporary escapes and reliefs and controls and securities that this old world offers you at your fingertips. All you need to do is believe. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Saved. If you believe, the question is are you burning your boats? The other question is if you're not burning your boats, do you believe? <laughs> 